Hi. Hi and Hawaii. Coming to you from Misty Mountain Studios, sitting at 2,440 feet above sea level on this big rock in the middle of the Pacific, just outside of Volcano in the Puna District of the Big Island of Hawaii. Lord bless this planet and every living thing on it. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, Hi in Hawaii. Welcome to Hi in Hawaii. If this is your first time, we're grateful to have you along. We are high on life, high on the mountain, and high on cannabis. This podcast is meant to be a form of entertainment and escape while at the same time being informative about new products and methods of consumption. So kick back, enjoy the stories, the tunes, and whatever you got going with you. And if you think this is just about weed, well, hang on. It's not. I promise. Life or death, the name of this episode. We'll have wise words from an old farmer coming up in a second. Three near-death experiences that shaped my life. Some pause for the cause songs I hope you enjoy and some information if you need help. All that and more on the way this episode brought to you under the influence of Josh D. O.G. Kush. Coming in at 26.3% THC and total cannabinoids. You can find out more on the link. We have links on our transcript section, links on our chapter markers. Those are different on each platform and there's like 30 different platforms that's carrying our thing now. So if you have any doubts, you can go to our website and find the link <clears throat> or any link that I speak of during our transcript section and in the uh, chapter markers. We always try to provide a link there. Now, at least we do now. We didn't at first because we didn't know how to do it all. But anyway, when you move over the mouse over the uh, the bud on the picture there at bigislandgrown.com slash our cultivators, you get the scoop on what's uh, going on with the particular strains. This particular strain, obviously a hybrid of Hell's Angels, Triangle, Kush, and I think it's SFG, uh, San Fernando Valley, maybe OG, blue cheese, berry flavor, very pungent. Uh, Vic's note says, and I'm guessing he's the master grower, antidepressant, helps PTSD, intense pain reliever, uplifting, energizes the mind, positive mood enhancer, helps creativity, helps control seizures, depression, and anxiety very well. Thanks. Thank you to the big strain, the big store for this big strain. I get that right. <laughs> One of my favorite midday strains, www.highinhigh.com. That's H-I-I-N-H-I.com. We've got a YouTube channel. You can see some videos there, Facebook link, support the podcast button. Thank you for everybody who has supported the podcast and that Venmo link. Very, very grateful. All those funds are used to buy new equipment and also going to be used to help pay for people who come in as gas because we're going to give them gas money because we live way up here on the mountain. I don't expect them to. Anyway, that's to come. Also, looking forward to doing Instagram. I think it's Twitty Bird, Tweeter, Twitty, Tweet, Tweet, Twitting. We're going to do that new thing. It's not new. I'm just making fun of it. I've never done Twitter, uh, so we'll do it for this. Also, recently got a TikTok thing. I've never done that either. Didn't do this. My daughter, Audrey, thank you. Appreciate it. I'll be glad when you teach me how to work at TikTok some kind of new app thing. So we're just trying to get exposure so people know. That's all. Oh, thank you for listening to Hi in Hawaii. We have a segment we do each week called Wise, Wise Words. Wise, Wise Words. We pick, you know, a nice, nice little something, something to help you get through your day. A little inspirational, sometimes motivational. This one's a good one. It's a thinker, but it's a good one. Wise words from an old farmer. One time I got a list of old farmer's advice. It had like 20 different things on it, old farmer's advice. And this is one of them. 
Good judgment comes from experience. And a lot of that comes from bad judgment. Wise words. Good judgment comes from experience, and a lot of that experience comes from bad judgment. Old farmer's advice. Take that one and use it. (laughs) There is, and will always be, a debate on what information can be discussed and what should be classified. After much consideration and with extreme discretion, I will discuss some methods of training without going into exact detail on implementation. And I know that's walking a fine line. I'll mention some names and places, but only in code or terms that we're going to understand. It's not my intention to make anyone disgruntled or upset because I share these stories. More detailed information on interrogation techniques can be obtained on the Internet or, hell, even watching a movie like Zero Dark Thirty or a cable show like Homeland. Hell, the unit, the episode where they go to SEER training, you you can see more of that, find out more there than what I'm going to give you. I know there's a fine line, and I've, I've tried to walk it straight and steady here on this podcast. Hi, in Hawaii. Life or death. This story begins at the end. And we'll go back and forth throughout. And it may seem confusing at first, but it all plays out by the time it's finished. My little puppy, Noe Lani, is persistent on playing ball today. So throughout the podcast, you're probably going to hear a tennis ball fall across the floor and her run and get it and then drop it. Some of you may know some of this story. Some of you may not know any of this story. Some of you were there. It can confirm. But this is exactly what happened as I recall it. The best I can tell it without divulging classified information. Many times in our lives, we're faced with challenges and obstacles. Some are self-induced. Sometimes things are thrust upon us by forces of nature that we may or may not understand. Here's a question for you. Has anyone ever asked you to define serenity? What is your definition of serenity? Have you ever been asked to, quote, go to your happy place, like in the dentist chair or whatever? Have you ever had to use your mind to escape a situation to allow you to get through a particular moment. Many times in my life, I've been faced with circumstances that caused me to push myself to limits I never knew I could achieve. Mentally, kind of like transcendental meditation shit, you know. When I need a place to go, I use a boat ride on a lake. any lake, not just any boat ride. I go back to a spring morning in 1987 on Lake Fork. 
I mean, this little John boat with a two and a half horsepower motor, two of the best friends a guy could ask for on board. And we've been living the life on this particular weekend. This ride across the water from the boat ramp, man, it seems magical in the moment. Sometimes when I get really focused on escape or peace or serenity, this is the moment I go to. This is what I visualize. I see big smiles on both their faces as we're cruising across the water. It's partly cloudy, sunrise coming up behind us. We're so close to the water, we can just reach over and touch it. Rich is up on front, laying across the bow with the water splashing up in his face, and he's laughing. Me? My goal is to escape the current situation I'm in. Face down naked in a mountain stream. I'm being tortured by this interrogator with a stupid hat on and a big black sweater, green trench coat, had on some big ass sunglasses, mirror shape, you know, looking like, you son of a bitch. Yeah, that's right. His goal, make me miserable and get me to give up the information about my mission. You son of a bitch. But instead, I'm just cruising across that water in that boat. And I can feel that water splashing up on my face. But it's not the same water. Although, it's very cold, and it took me back very quick to that point in time. I mean, just like, bam. That's the kind of cold that takes your breath away. It's the kind of cold that makes your sides and your back hurt. So cold your body just convulses to try to generate some kind of heat. So cold you can't speak. If you know this cold, you know what I'm talking about. Now I begin to shake uncontrollably. I see in the corner of my eye, medic on site, he says some magic word and then poof. I'm getting swooped up out of this little water and placed over in this tent. Warming up. Got a blanket on me. Now, see, there's parts of the training that you're not supposed to see because it'll take you out of your role play. Being around survival for a few extra months, plus having a history of cold weather injury, I had a little bit of a heads up on what was going on during this timeout moment, but not much. Even with a hood over my head, I could hear stuff going on. I could hear voices. I could recognize a few, but I really didn't know how many people were outside the tent. And I didn't know how far this could go. And I didn't know who all would become involved. There was no prior planning for what took place that afternoon in the creek. Now, see, back home in Texas, we have creeks. Creeks vary from bone dry to overflowing, depending on the time of the year. Creeks. But in the mountains up north... They have cricks, cricks, always flowing, sometimes just a trickle, but depending on the snow melt, always running, always cold, never warm, never. Hypothermia is the enemy of the body. 
When your body loses heat faster than it can produce heat, causing dangerously low body temperatures, 98.6 gets below 95. You're hypothermic. Symptoms and signs, shivering, exhaustion, you all know this. Confusion, memory loss, slurred speech, drowsiness. You feel really tired. You kind of just feel like giving up. Let's just go to sleep, man. I just want to get warm and, you know, it's all good. It's a fine line you have to walk when you're doing advanced training. And those that are trained to do it take extreme caution when it comes to the students, without question. So on one hand, I know I'm not going to die in this crick, but it's the unknown. That's the part you start to question. Fear of the unknown can be a very strong influence. Sometimes it's the greatest tool you have as an interrogator. When you get really cold, you go numb. Now, it's painful, but it's sort of a dull pain. When you start to warm up is when your skin really hurts. As the blood flow begins to be normal and the body temperature rises, freaking nerve endings go crazy. I first experienced this at about 10 years old. My cousin Clint and I had been exploring some flooded timber about a half a mile from my house. It was springtime, but the temperature was low enough that we had coats on. The rain-flooded area was a common place I'd hunted before, and I felt like with the water being up, we should be able to find some rabbits on the high ground. Easy pickings. We started walking. It was like ankle-deep water, when suddenly, man, we step off in this deep asshole. (laughs) It's probably the creek. The only thing dry was the guns. We put them over our heads as we walked up out of that creek. Cold, wet, we started walking home. It's a half a mile. It's not that far, but it's into the wind, and it would be a test of wills, let me tell you. We got colder and colder the closer we got to that house. The wind picked up. The temperature dropped. Oh, my. When we got home, my mom stuck us in the bathtub and some hot water. Now, at first, it feels good. At first. But then your skin feels like needles, and it can be extremely painful for a while, depending on how cold you get. Depends on how much pain you go through. I'll just say that the pain associated with frostbite is about 10 times that of frost nip, and you probably get some sort of frost nip if you get hypothermic, like we were that day anyway. But as I'm sitting in this warming tent with my needle skin, and I'm remembering back to that time when I was a kid in the bathtub crying because I didn't know what the hell was going on with my skin because it hurts so freaking bad. As I'm warming up, I know this is about to all start over again. Questions, beating, water, tent, rinse, repeat. I expected this treatment. We take it as a rite of passage, most of us. I did see one sergeant cross-training get angry with the cadre one time about how we were being treated, but they all worked it out. And he would go on to become one of the best interrogators I ever had the pleasure to work beside. Aloha, Comrade Kirov. Kirov and Tok used to wear them out together, man, let me tell you. We had too much fun. What I could not foresee was how everyone else would be affected by my actions here in this crick. See, it's one thing... When somebody punishes you for something, but when they punish somebody else for your wrongdoings and then make you watch it, it's a whole different game. I've only known these guys a few short months, 
But the time we spend together is meaningful, significant. Not everybody in our instructor-to-be class was close. Some of them had cross-trained from other career fields and had higher ranks. They lived off base or on base with their families. Some people lived on the base in the barracks or, you know, some of our classmates were foreign officers. Japan, I think, and Nigeria comes to mind. I wonder what happened to those guys. Training was about six months long, and at the time, there was about a 30% dropout rate. I'm not sure what those things are now, and I don't remember exactly how many people we started with, but I think it was about 30. A few of us became really close friends. To this day, I consider them my brothers, and each phase of training seemed like another rung on the ladder, and each time we would complete a phase, we would partay. Never a shortage of beer or liquor when we gathered as a group. We stayed pickled, I can tell you that. Excess was the standard. You go big or stay home. Can't run with the big dogs, blah, 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 blah. You know all that shit. One Friday night in October of 1989, close to the end of training, I had a gathering at my apartment. It's close to Halloween. I remember because we had a uh, little pumpkin that my wife had gotten at the time, Manya. She got it somewhere in some roadside pumpkin patch or whatever. A few of the locals in the apartment complex hooked me up, and I had some LSD and a little bit of weed. This probably just enough for like two or three joints, little joints. It wasn't much at all. Probably like a dime bag. I didn't even know what a dime bag was back then. Keep in mind, at that time, LSD was hard to trace in urine samples. Only had trace amounts can be detected for a short period of time, so I wasn't worried too much about failing drug tests because of LSD. 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 But, uh, you know, the weed can stay in your system for a while. Some people may be taken aback by this information, and that's, you know, understandable. But LSD's not a big deal if you know what you're doing. If you know what to look out for and what to avoid, especially if you're microdosing. Ooh, microdosing, microdot. Sounds fun. I digress. Sorry. Seriously, it's not an extreme thing as you think, maybe. You, you learn to avoid things like mirrors, drive up food windows, because you might order ten times only to realize you're sitting at a mailbox. If you see a purple elephant anywhere, go the other way. Hell, if you see an elephant anywhere, go the other way. Just, I don't care what color it is. If the ground underneath you begins to split open, don't scream. Okay, you're just tripping. And last and certainly, not least, do not inspect your skin, all right? Remember, with plenty of knowledge, you gain experience, right? <laughs> LSD trips may be the most pure form of man-made higher consciousness I've ever experienced. But it's got to be harnessed. The force will be with you always. Almost 100% of everyone I know enjoyed it. To some degree, some of the negative effects are a turn off for some people. And usually those are the ones that only experiment once or twice. All things considered, it's not fair to say who did or did not partake in illegal substances that night or any other night for that matter. But I did. It was my shit. I was tripping my ass off that night. And so were a few others. At one point, we took a ride in this car I had. I bought it from a $500 hoopty lot. Remember them lots? Had $500 cars? You go buy a car, it was a piece of shit, but the transmission went out in it. I remember driving down Division on Spokane trying to get back up to the north side. Radio blaring, 
smoke rolling out from underneath the back end of that car. And the lights of a cop car pulling us over. I laughed so hard. When the cops pulled us over, man, it was just a big cloud of smoke coming out from underneath this car. We all jumped out, man. We were looking at it like it was about to explode, you know. It was like a scene out of a movie or some shit, man. We all had short haircuts. We were respectful. You know, we, we were on our best behavior. We knew what was up. We played that shit off pretty easy. Parked that car in the grocery store parking lot, and we started walking. Those cops never showed any concern about our state of mind, nor did they search us. Thank God. I could have gone to jail just for what was in my front pocket. Once we made it back to my apartment, that's when things got really chill, man. I mean, we were really chill. We were having a good time. We started talking, drinking, and we're all ass kicking around, you know. Somebody asked, hey, what did you tell them, Shrop? When they asked you about life or death situations. See, this question takes you back to basic training. After a few days of going through the routines of basic training, you start to get these little briefings. They shuffle you into this place and then into this place and then you go in here and you march in you sit down and you listen. Hurry up and wait. That's where it all starts. And this guy says, watch your eyes before he flips the light off. I guess there's a requirement in the military. You got to tell your students you're going to change the lights. I remember doing it, but I don't remember why. I mean, it can't be nothing with epilepsy. I mean, I know the flashing light can cause epilepsy, you know, epileptic seizure. But nobody in the service should have epilepsy. So why do we have to warn in there? I digress. So anyway, the projector is showing this beautiful mountainscape on the wall, right? I see people smiling in the sunshine. They're holding canteens, eating granola bars. And I'm sitting there thinking, shit, I could go for some of that right now. Next slide comes up, and there's a guy with a map and a compass, and someone's pointing to a mountaintop far away. I swear to God, there's an eagle flying in the backdrop. And he says two words that would forever change my path in life. Survival instructor. You can teach people how to live off the land. You'll see the world as you train and go to these different climates and conditions and blah, 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 blah. All I really heard was, can you hunt and fish? And can you talk to people? Mm Mm-hmm. That's me. Hello. If you think you got what it takes, then meet me at 1,800 hours outside of this building. Let's see if you can do 10 push-ups. See, they make it sound easy. It would end up being the hardest 10 push-ups I'd ever done in my life up to that point. I mean, just imagine as I've been talking to you through this story that every few minutes I say up or down. That's the way this evening would go. Indoctrination, interrogation. I mean, it's soft. Don't get me wrong, but it's interrogation. A test of wills. You can leave any time. You don't like it, Airman. You can get up and leave right now if this is uncomfortable. And this went on until half the people quit. And this was just the first rung 
on the ladder. Every step gives you more than ample opportunity to jump off said ladder. But because we're stubborn and determined individuals, we would hold on even harder and even tighter the further we climbed up said ladder forever. Most of us are still holding on. I remember the guy who asked me the question that night while we're Halloween tripping. I'm not going to say his name, even though I should. But he was the the big-time cyclist. He didn't stay in the Air Force very long that I know of. He's the first guy I ever met who shaved his legs so he could go faster on his bicycle. Now, I ain't making judgment on that, okay? I'm just saying he's the first person I ever met to do such a thing. Never seen that in my life. Never heard of it in my life. So it was, you know, from a guy like me, I was like, what the hell are you doing? He ended up sleeping with somebody else's wife. So he wasn't around much longer after graduation, and we'll just leave it at that. So I got this group of about eight people in my living room. It's about 3 a.m. in the morning. A very, very captive audience. And I tell them, well, I told Chief Master Sergeant Selection, because I ain't going to say the Master Sergeant name, the Chief. He was a Chief, I believe. Yeah, he was a Chief. I told him about the time I got hypothermia while rabbit hunting with my cousin Clint. I described in detail the accounts of the day I tracked this coyote that I shot while deer hunting. After a few hours of tracking the blood, I found the coyote, but I was lost. Well, not lost, just a mite bit confused for a spell. I sat down next to the creek bank and decided to walk back into the sun because of the direction it had come up that morning. And I got out, no problem. But I had to sit down and get myself together after a quick freak-out moment. I was only 12 years old. I explained to the man the different times that I had been coon hunting at night with my pawpaw, as we would get cold and tired, but we would continue to hunt until the early hours of the morning. And this chief, he was sharp guy. I mean, he was smart. He asked me, he said, hey, did you use flashlights when you traveled at night behind them dogs? Of course, I said, no, because you don't, you, you know, you try to not use the light until you need it. Or when, you know, you got one in a tree, you're going to need the light. Night travel would come in handy later on. Now, we laughed and we joked a little bit that night as I'm telling these events. There was some other stuff that was in there. And, you know, we'd stop and talk and do this and that and drink and whatever. And then I said, but probably... Probably the life or death story that the chief wanted to hear the most about. Remember the survival guy now, basic training. He wants to hear about this spring morning on Lake Fork with my friends Bill and Rich. Now, I couldn't tell this Air Force man all the details, but he seemed pretty smart. And I'm pretty sure he could read between the lines and fill in the blanks. I'd slipped up a little bit and told him we'd been up for a few days, but he didn't ask how. So I didn't divulge that tidbit of information. We were approaching graduation. We knew it was a pivotal moment, you know, in our lives. We knew we probably weren't going to see each other for a while. Now, none of us in this story had planned to go in the military at the time of graduation. We probably agreed it was on the back burner if we decided to, but not one of us three had been committed to join any branch of service at this point. With only a few weekends left before high school graduation, before freedom, we decide we want to go fishing. Not just fishing, but bass fishing on some big water. And the best place that we knew was Lake Fork. 
Now, at this time, Lake Fork was just a baby of a lake. It, it was new, but it was producing big fish in big numbers. And between the three of us, we didn't even know anybody had a boat except for Bill's dad, and he wasn't going to let us use his. <clears throat> but I did know where there was one we could use. My papa had this little lake lot with a camper trailer at Lake Quitman, just a few miles away from Lake Fort. Now, for those that may not know, a papa is your grandfather on your father's side. It's your pa's paw. You see, your papa. Now, my dad never, ever wanted me to call him Paul. He hated it. But my papa wanted me to call him Papa, so that's what I call him to this day. May he rest in peace. I spent a lot of time there in Quitman with my Papa hunting and fishing around the lake. I'd go with him and help clean his yard, keep his place looking nice. In exchange, he wouldn't care if I stayed there on occasion. He told me as long as the place is clean and locked up, I don't care. Now behind his trailer camper, chained to a tree, was a little John boat and a two and a half horsepower motor. As somebody had left behind about five hunting seasons ago. And I had the key. No title, no registration sticker. This is just a little 10-foot pond boat. You know, basic stuff. Got no fancy nothing on it. No stickers or nothing. You'd get a big fine if you took it out on the water. At least today you would. Probably then too, but that never came to pass. On this weekend, our plan was fish, party, party, and fish. That was pretty much it. Had some graduation money in our pocket, acting like we're grown-ass men, we head off down the road. I'm in a 66 Mustang convertible. It's white with a black top, but the top is down whole trip. Bill, he's bringing the El Camino. The El Camino. So we can haul the boat to the lake. It's Friday night, and we're feeling right, so we go road tripping down to Tyler, see some old friends. Then it's back to the camper to get some rest, but we don't really rest. We're just getting ready to go fish at first light. Now, each of us had experience fishing, but Bill would be the captain. He had had the most experience with boats. He had the most gear, thanks to his dad, J.W., unbeknownst to J.W. beforehand. Rich and I, we, we brought a few poles. We had some plastic worms and some lures, but Bill had a couple of rod holders, man, with multiple rods and reels. Large tackle box. Also on board was our cooler of beer. Water, food, towels, sunscreen, bug repellent. These are a few things that come to mind that you want on a trip on the water in a boat. But we didn't have none of those. But obviously the most important thing that was missing, life jackets. Life jackets. Not a one. Never thought twice. Why? Because we can swim. We can swim. We don't need life jackets. I need to pause for a cause. <clears throat> this song is from his album, Stars. My friend Michael O'Neill. And this is titled, Things They Carry, High in Hawaii. Clean my M16, loaded four magazines of 20 clean rounds. Then I removed two, 
rifle seemed to jam less with a lighter load. Slam one magazine into my rifle, clicked on my safety, switched it over to semi-automatic. Then I cleaned my 45, empty oil and refilled four magazines. Loaded one in the pistol, chambered around. Clicked on the safety, slid the weapon in the holster around my waist. Then I filled four canteens with fresh water, placed them in the pouches around my waist. Next to the small pouch, Contains a compression bandage and a bayonet. Large pouch contains a gas mask. Hope I don't need that one. Inside my pack, I pack four sea rations with meals, water purification tablets, one claymore mine with a detonator, a wire, a clean pair of socks, two packs of smokes, four rolls of 35 millimeter, a block of C4 plastic explosives, two blasting caps of fuse, a bag of loose candy left over from my 21st birthday just last week. And a large entrenching tool In case I need to dig a hole Pull real tight on my chin strap To make sure my helmet can withhold a rough landing Place a brand new plastic tube of bug repellent And a black rubber band that circles my helmet on the other side, I got this old dirty peace sign I've been carrying around since R&R. In my pants, I got a camera. In my right thigh pocket, I got two more packs of smokes. In my left pocket, I got a small roll of toilet paper and a Zippo lighter. Oh, yeah, and this old $5 bill my granny gave me. She always gives me five bucks on my birthday. I didn't know what else to do with it. Thought I'd just carry it around. Reached down and untied my boots. Pulled my socks up real tight. Then I tied my boots back and double knotted them. section and a link on the chapter markers if you have any problems finding it let me know and i will get you in the right direction so i'm in this warming tent and my needle skin is getting better as i peek through the holes in my hood i can see some others have been captured real sure who it is it's not real clear I can't make out the voices but I can tell they're being questioned I can't tell for sure how many are out there 
more than two or three. Because there's a lot of yelling going on. And then all of a sudden, more bodies are being shuffled in. And I get snatched up and taken out. And when you spend time with people in this kind of situation, whether it be in the woods or on base and training, you get to know people, okay? So I could tell from the sniffles, okay, in the guy's hood next to me, who it was when he went by me in the tent. You know, somebody grabbed me up and they're taking me out of the tent and somebody else is coming in. And I hear it. It's, I mean, it's clear as day. It's like saying his name. I know exactly who it is. You ain't got to tell me. It's my friend. We're going to call him Aggie. And it's not to be derogatory. No, 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 no. No, no. There was a time in point where I used to say Aggie jokes, but no, not, not after this. You know, I never heard a Texas joke until I left Texas. You realize that. Anyway, he was a cadet at Texas A&M, and I always admired him for that. And many of my friends from high school attended Texas A&M. It's a great school, wonderful university, produced just top-quality personnel. Plus, with his time in college, he outranked me by, by, like, two stripes, I think. And I had, like, five months on him. Anyway, we're going to call him Aggie. Sorry, I need another joke. That's refreshing. So I'm getting beat up a little bit. It's a shaking technique. Most of us learn it. It's it's just to inflict a little pain on somebody. It's, I mean, it's not it's not that big a deal, really. It just pisses them off, mostly. I mean, nobody likes having hands put on them. Let's face it. So the second it starts, you, you feel jolted to alertness, right? There ain't no sleeping through this kind of ordeal. Although in my mind, I'm still floating on that lake with my two buddies. Just chilling. And I'm working real hard to keep it all together. I'm trying to stay in that moment. You know, that transcendental meditation shit. I get stripped down to nothing. I get forced back into the stream. He says, lay down. I said, no. He did not like that. He says, lay down in the water. I tell him, no. I can't get down there. It's too cold. So he tortures someone else. Makes me watch. Get back in that water. Face down, you disgusting fat body. You filthy American scum. Second time, I'm back down in the water. And it hurts at first. Then my hand and my fingers start to go numb. And I know what this means. I got to do something. I'm going to get pulled. I'm going to be right back where I started. With that frostbite shit. Too much of this cold is going to do me in. So in in this moment, man, I'm just going crazy. I don't know what to do. I'm tired. I'm pissed off. And I'll tell you why in a minute. I'm hungry. I'm angry. I'm worried about getting pulled out of training. This is pivotal, man. This is a big moment in my life. Now, one thing I will tell you, I'll say this till the day I die. Aggie is one of the best, sweetest, nicest people you could ever know. He was and is a dear friend to me, a true brother. Because of some bullshit OSI lie, he thinks I narked on him. And he got in trouble. 
But it wasn't on my word, brother. I ain't never knocked to the popo or anybody else about anybody's drug use ever, ever, never. Another story, another podcast episode. My friend, sorry. I get emotional about this shit because it was bullshit. My friend Pat, who I shared a teepee with on FAM, knows how to reach him and tells me that he's doing well, living a life of seclusion somewhere on the West Coast. A life of seclusion. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Hmm. Fuck you, OSI. One night, I'm sorry, on that night when we had that LSD streaming through our system, Aggie and I, we laughed so hard it hurt. He would laugh, and then I would laugh, and it'd make me laugh when he laughed, and vice versa. I mean, shit, later on we learned how to make each other laugh just by fake laughing. It was really weird. But as I told the story about being on Lake Fork, Aggie was all ears. (laughs) Pun intended. And this is how it all ties together. See, as we get closer to that shoreline, probably 250 yards off the starboard side, we begin to notice that the splashing water that's coming up over the bow has begun to fill up the ship. Due to improper displacement of weight, we are sinking. I hear from behind... Holy shit, Shrap! Look, the gas tank is floating! And as I turn around to look, I see the little red gas tank floating off on the port side of the ship. And then... The whole back of the boat goes underwater. Just a giant wall of water. And we're sinking. Now, because of the temperatures... And the fact that we started at my family's deer camp, I was wearing blue jeans, a t-shirt with hunting coveralls and boots. Nothing fancy, just an old pair of rubber boots that fit real tight. Now, in the first few seconds, I can't really describe what went through my mind, but it was flashing, like pictures on a big screen or a projector. Images of being a kid with my dad on a horse, riding on the back of his motorcycle. I I mean, I saw the prom and girls and cars. I flashed back to a bad car wreck I had 11 months earlier. My cousin Clint was in commerce one night after I got off work from Sunrise Sunset Tanning Salon and Beauty Shop. Oh, don't laugh. No, uh, mm-mm, mm-mm, don't laugh. That's my mama's business. I worked there a few nights a week just cleaning the beds and locking up the place. Did I ever take any of my friends in there for a party? Mm-mm, okay, maybe possible. Could have happened. I don't know. Nobody saw me do it, and they can't prove it. <clears throat> anyway, I just got off work. It's late, like 9 o'clock probably. It's dark. And we're leaving from the Walmart parking lot on the Del Taco side next to Winn-Dixie. And in my possession is a six-pack of beer and a joint, but it's in the trunk until we get out of town. Now, as we pull out onto Live Oak, we get T-boned in the driver door side. My 
67, Chevy 2. And I say that with reverence. Because that's the only car I ever owned that I wish I still had. Nothing ever compared after that. This is before they called it a Nova. A 67 Chevy 2 that I had built mostly from the ground up. The impact was so bad that my door would never open again. The drunk guy in the little Volkswagen Beetle. He hit us so hard, man, he was wedged into my car. But he tried to drive off. Had no lights on. Didn't have no insurance. I don't even think it was his car, really. Clint and I both took hits to the head pretty bad. I hit the front windshield. Clint got slammed into the passenger side windshield. I'm talking hard enough to break glass, yo. As I looked over at Clint, I could tell he was shook up. I mean... We, we took a, I mean, it was big hit. My adrenaline was running so high, I couldn't tell if I was just hurt or just dazed. I, I mean, man, but it was fast. Most important, I was already stoned, and I didn't want to go to the hospital, and I did not want my car searched. But this drunk guy is trying to get away. He finally gets his car cranked, gets disconnected from my car, and then slams into a dumpster. And then he passed out. So when the cops show up, he's their main focus. They arrest the drunk guy, and they take him away. Paramedics show up on the scene. They ask, do you think you should go to the ER? No. No, no. I'll be okay. <laughs> it all played in my mind. Quick, man, like that. Because it was the first time I felt lucky that year. First time I felt lucky to be alive. I felt like I was on borrowed time after that car wreck. I really did. I tried to embrace just every event that came up in life, whether it was school, sports, church, family. I don't, you know, I just tried because I felt lucky. I was, I was happy to be in one piece. During the Christmas break, I went on this church camp weekend retreat. Now, I know some people always make that face when I say church camp, but church camp was cool, dude. I'm telling you, man, we had fun at church camp. What, what kind of fun? I'm talking all types of fun. My first kiss was at church camp. We used to get drunk at church camp, got high at church camp. We got laid at church camp. I mean, church, yay, church camp. I'm just saying. I never sent my children to church camp, just so you know. <laughs> but I made a lot of friends there. And I even dated a few girls from there. Took one to the prom my junior year. But this weekend was just an overnight event. It's not going to be very long. Just an overnight deal. And we were just going to hang out. My buddy Rufus was going to be there. And he was a drummer in this badass band. And I think they, they did play that night a little bit. And he and I had this common taste in music. And I thought, man, one more time I'm going to go hang out with Rufus. And he, oh, I remember Rufus always loved these clove cigarettes. They taste like shit. But damn, you get dizzy as hell. Them damn things are strong. Remember them clove cigarettes, y'all? <clears throat> so we got high. We hung out. And then I went back to Commerce on Sunday. I remember it was Sunday because I went to Holly's house to watch the Cowboy game that evening. Back when I was a Cowboy fan. But I didn't watch the game. I fell asleep on her bed because I was so tired. And I had a headache. 
was like, I don't know, it's just like my battery just went dead. Just I couldn't, I couldn't stay awake. Hard as I tried. When I woke up to go home, I noticed that the lights were causing my head to really hurt. Like the porch light, street lights, headlights, even the dash lights in my car were making me squint. And then the headache just got worse and worse throughout the night. And I ended up vomiting. I was running a fever. And by Monday morning, I couldn't even open my eyes. The pain was excruciating. And my mama was a single parent at the time because my father had been kicked out of the house. Rightly so. He was sleeping with another woman in another town, but still. Anyway, it was a difficult time for her being on her own. And she drove me that morning to the old doctor on Bonham Street in town where I'd go to get my yearly football physical and the vaccinations. He's the old, I can't remember his name, but he's that old doctor boy. He, he'd be coming at you. You better move your arm to catch that needle because his old hand would be shaking, giving you that shot, that vaccination for the year, man. You got to move your arm to catch the needle and you have a cigarette hanging out his mouth. I'll never forget that old doctor. I can't remember his name, but I, I can just visualize being in his old house and them cigarettes and them damn shaking needles. But he says to my mom, he says, I think this boy's got a bad case of the flu. Maybe a migraine headache. It could have something to do with the football injury, but I don't think so. I'd gotten banged up in a game and uh, had to get some MRIs for this head injury I got a few months back. I think he literally said, go home, take some aspirin, call me tomorrow. I think I'm serious. I think that's what he said. It could have been Tylenol. I don't know. Maybe he gave me something. But it, it was, you know, cliche for sure. Now, all of this is flashing through my mind as I'm holding on for life. I mean, in just a few short seconds, it's just, it is so bizarre when shit like this happens. And I, I've heard it from other people. Not everybody's experienced this kind of shit, so you may not know, you may not relate, but other people do, and they do, and they do relate. But in just a few short minutes, I, I can tell that we got to do something because we're getting too cold. I thought about what I would do if Rich or Bill started to sink under the water. I started to question myself in my mind, am I going to be strong enough to help them? Things, things slowed down in a way, but things were going fast in a way. It's hard to explain. But at times, it, it did feel like time was standing still. Nothing seemed to be moving. Maybe it was the shock. Maybe it was the lack of sleep or the booze or the drugs. I don't know. Maybe it's all of the above. But I thought it was about to be over. Three strikes and you're out, boy. Cannot escape your destiny.
cannot escape your destiny. That's what I thought. It's time for another pause for the cause song. This one's a bootleg. <laughs> I got it from Redbeard. Famous Dallas DJ. He recorded this poolside at the Cowboys Club in the late 80s. I remember Redbeard playing on Q102. <laughs> that was my goal at one time, was to be on Q102. But I remember Redbeard playing it on Q102 because I thought, that guy just coughed on the radio. It's an acoustic version, and it's the one I love to play along with. The great Steve Earle, Copperhead Road. My name's John Lee Pettimore I seen with my daddy and his daddy before You hardly ever saw granddaddy down here They only come a town about twice a year And buy a hundred pounds a year stands a cop in line Everybody knew that it made moonshine The revenue man and the granddaddy bad They hit up a hollow little everything had It's for my time and I've been told they never come back from Copperhead Road Dad ran a whiskey in the big black dodge Bought it at an auction at the Mason's Lodge Johnson County Sheriff painted on the side Shot a coat of primer then looked inside Where him and my uncle tore the engine down I still remember that rumbling sound The sheriff came around the middle of the night Heard mama crying that something wasn't right He's heading out of Nassau with a weekly load You can smell the musket burning down Copperhead Road First round here and away. I've done my two tours of duty in Vietnam. I came home with a brand new plan. I take a seat from Colombia to Mexico. I just plant her up a holler down Copperhead Road. Now the DA's got 
got a chopper in the air. Wake up screaming like a backhoe there. Alert think or two for Charlie, don't you know? You better stay away from Copperhead Road. Ten days ago, 
When's the last time you smoked weed? Saturday night at church camp. I said that shit too, like I was proud of it. Saturday night at church camp. That boy ain't right. When's the last time you used LSD? December 23rd, on my birthday. I was never disrespectful, but I wasn't sure if I could trust these people in the room. Plus my mama right there, yo. Come on. That boy ain't right. There was a small part of me that thought I might get thrown in rehab because I admitted to all this, but <laughs> that was far outweighed by wanting to just be alive. So I told everything. Two different taps. Mm-hmm. About an hour and a half apart. Came in, got the first one, hurt like hell. I thought it was over. And then they came back and got more. 36 hours later, they determine all is clear. It's only viral meningitis. They seemed happy, relieved. I went from having like 10 people in the room to just two working on me, you know. That's kind of how you can tell your, your level of, of uh, severity, at least it's been my experience in a hospital. I was still scared, man, and in pain. I didn't know. I was still worried about dying. This shit hurt. The school wasn't really concerned for the students as much because winter break had just ended. So I hadn't even stepped foot in the school since before Christmas. I mean, in today's world, I guess there would be tracing of people and backtracking and what's the contract, contact tracing, that's it. No one, not even the doctors, had any idea how long I was going to be sick and feel bad or ill. They expected to meet you know, it have lingering effects and symptoms for a while, but they couldn't really put a timetable on it. They just said no more sports, no strenuous activities. I'd have to return for some blood work and follow up, but I got to go home after about eight days. All my teachers sent home the rest of my year's schoolwork because they didn't know when or if I was going to be able to return to school. And I got it all done in like three weeks. After I felt good enough to go back to school, I didn't have shit to do. <laughs> Doctor wouldn't release me for baseball, so February to June, I didn't, I didn't have nothing but a free pass anytime I wanted to leave. Anytime I felt bad, anytime I felt tired. I didn't realize it then, but later on I did. All the adults in my life treated me different after that. As if I'd crossed over to adulthood somehow because of this event. Some of them even looked at me like I was a ghost. I'm serious. Like you. I don't, I can't believe you're here. You're lucky you made it through that. But on that lake, hugging onto that tree, I didn't feel lucky anymore. I felt like my time had run out. Then it's real, man. I'm telling you, this, this is no joke. We're going to drown out here. I see the shore. It's about 200 yards away. Maybe shorter, but it wouldn't have made a difference if, if it was 10 feet. When I stepped out of that boat, like I was trying to walk, and then I tried to swim, my boots just filled up with water. Coveralls got soaked. It was like a sponge. I got pulled down. Now, I only went under one time, but I thought I you know, might reach the bottom, but I didn't. And that'll spook you. Oh, that'll spook you bad. A few
few strokes, a hard kick, and then a lunge, and I made it to a dead standing tree, spitting and coughing up water as I shimmied up it as high as I could. Man, it all happened so fast. It would have been a good spot to cast, too, had we not sunk the boat and lost all the rods. When I get to the tree, I think I'm going to make it to the shore. I really do. I feel like I can continue and get to the shore and get out of the water. And I look back and I see Rich. He's floating with the cooler. And jokingly, he says, I saved the beer. You know? But after a few minutes, he says, Shrop, I'm getting cold, Bubba. Me too, I told him. The strange part is that the boat sank about 10 feet, disappeared, flipped over, and then submerged back up, up about a foot underwater. It's freaky. Bill was laying across the bottom of this boat as it half-assed floated. But it really didn't seem stable enough for him, much less all three of us. And he couldn't move it, so there was about 20 feet separating the three of us. No one could have helped the others if they went underwater. I held on to that tree, but I slipped down a little ways from the highest point. Of course, it's warmer out of the water, but I just I couldn't hold on up that high. The tree was breaking off above me, so it wasn't a sure thing, even if we all made it to the tree. Again, no life jackets, no safety equipment of any type. A whistle would have been real handy. Yes, the plug was in the boat, but because it had been laying underneath that shade tree for 15 years or whatever it had been, it was just one of them old cork-type plugs. You know, you just stick it in there and hope it keeps most of the water out. After a few seconds of trying to catch our breath, we started yelling for help. I mean, big voice, full-grown mass man yelling, help, hey, help. But that didn't last long. In only a few short minutes, we can no longer yell words that you can understand. The only thing we can do is just moan. Ah! It was that bad. That's how cold we were getting. It was getting to the point. I thought about trying to kick off my boots and slide off them coveralls and swim to the shore. But when I reached for my zipper... With my one hand, I couldn't make it do what I wanted. This was it. We're going to be headline news. Three commerce high seniors die on Lake Fork fishing trip just days before graduation. Cannot escape your death. By the grace of God, some passing fishermen heard us from around the way. They had stopped to tie baits and pee. I remember the guy said, we don't even fish this side. But we stopped to pee and tie on some lures. (laughs) These days, (laughs) 
Lake Fork is so full, you fall off your boat, you're probably invading somebody's fishing space. Not then. Now it was empty of people in comparison. <laughs> so Halloween tripping. <clears throat> My boys, they, they found a lot of humor in that part of the story where we couldn't talk. <laughs> Aggie and I, we, uh, we laughed about it. Ooh, ooh. You know, we had a fun time. <laughs> I'm sure to this day, this story is going to bring back some memories for some people. You want to hear the real freaky part? We cut that pumpkin open the next morning about 5 o'clock. And it was black on the inside. I thought it was rotten. I've never seen a pumpkin look so perfect on the outside and be black as night on the inside. It was trippy, especially with Uncle Sid at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. Feeling the pumpkin guts on your hands, giggling about the colors. <laughs> Tripping. Remember when that was code? Have you seen Uncle Sid? <laughs> yeah. This time a minute ago. Let's do another pause for the cause song. This is Jason Allen. And I'll tell you more about Jason after this song. John Bo Blues on High in Hawaii. A pause for the cause song. I was born in a jump boat with a cane pole in my hand. Yeah, I was born in a jump boat with a cane pole in my hand. Yeah, my daddy was a river rat. I was born a fisherman.
that hits my eardrum, I, I got you got to know. That just filled my heart up with pride, and my face got warm. And then the next thing I know, I'm looking at my reflection in the water, and I'm smiling. This isn't good. This is not good. No, 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 no. This is bad, bad, bad. And I can't see the guy's face, but I can feel the rage level beginning to go up with this guy. And a few seconds go by. Splash, splash, splash. Tell me, blah, 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 blah. Ooh. With an echo from the tent. Ooh. And then from my left. Ooh. And the right. Ooh. Oh, my Lord. We must have sounded like some fucking geese out there or something. I don't know. But everybody was in the pool then. I mean, face down, face up, splash, 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 face down, face up, splash, splash, splash. Oh, man, I'm telling you, it it was a murder scene for real. And we just kept going. Oh, oh. Delirium has set in from the activities around us. Helicopters, guns, explosions. It's real world scenario shit. No holds barred. I mean, our minds have been racing for days as we play this ultimate game of hide and seek and torture. Or, I'm sorry, advanced training. They want you to feel the earth shake from the explosions so to scare you into running. That's how intense it is. And, and and then, of course, you're going to be questioned after you get caught. It's just that's all there is to it. I really don't like to use the word torture, but because it's advanced training, technically, in a school setting, but it's torture in the real world. You can only simulate so much torture before you begin to damage the merchandise, a.k.a. students. And I was trained in these techniques so that I would have the capacity to train others. And I knew that I was going to have to cross a bridge of acceptance into this unique group of people known as survival instructors. And I understood and accepted the rites of passage that must take place. Without question, they must take place. From eating banana slugs during jungle phase to making mud duck during fam. You do whatever they say, whenever they say, however they say, or you don't get to play with the big dogs. That was my approach. So we just screwed the pooch. Foo bar. Real world. We are ten headless idiots laying in a pool of blood, laying on the side of the road. And it's all on me. It's all on Shrop. Because they think I started that. And in the moment, I really don't give a shit. I didn't care. I was done. I'm serious. Just hours before we left the base for this exercise, I received word that my dad had gotten convicted and sentenced to 10 years in the Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville for dealing amphetamine to his trucker buddies, back then commonly known as Crank. And when I got the call at home in my apartment, 
it really messed me up. Got in my head quick. I was angry. I was worried. All types of things going on inside. I was mad at him and this ordeal and shit he got into. I didn't know how it was going to affect my brother and my sisters, my grandmother, my papa. I didn't know. I mean, the arrest had happened once before, but he didn't think he was going to get sentenced this harsh. Turns out he took the whole rap so others could stay out of prison. And I remember thinking to myself, if you only knew what I'm walking out the door to go do right now, you'd have waited to call me with this information. I was about to embark on one of the hardest parts of training, E&E, evasion and escape. And I knew that I had a price on my head, so to speak. If somehow they would have had that little tidbit of information and it come up during questioning, I'd have broke. It'd have been over. If, if I had that as an interrogator, you can damn bet I'm going to burn your ass with it. Just before I left that night to report for duty and head out on that exercise, I took my last half tab of tab, put it on my tongue, walked out the door. Boss will be with you always. I know there is good in you. That boy ain't right. That boy ain't right. (laughs) I wasn't driving. We took a bus ride with hoods on our heads for about two hours. Talk about a trip to the woods. After the fun began, we got kicked off out on that dirt road. Me and my partner, we dug under a fallen tree and we just stayed put all night and all the next morning. He had no idea what was going on in my head. I never talked to him that night. We just laid there and stayed quiet. My theory was wait and then sneak around at the last minute. Not wise, but it was a plan. Now, I'd been a good troop in the months leading up to it, being held over from my first ITB class. I was friendly with the staff. We didn't have any kind of, you know, interactions that were, you know, fraternization or anything. But I'd run errands and help them out packing up before and after trips. I was a master at the broom and mop detail. You know, that old pump in the basement went out every other day, especially in the wintertime. So it was always a mess to clean up. I had excellent ratings on my bathroom cleaning and painting skills. Since I smoked, I got to go do butt duty. But I didn't care because I could smoke (laughs) and get out of the building. Nothing, nothing got in my way of getting to the next class and finishing the next rung on the ladder. Now, in the woods during E&E, I stayed under the radar for the first few days before being caught crossing a road midday, foolishly. We deserve to be caught. I ain't going to lie. We got lazy. And the first thing upon capture, my partner plays up his foot injury. 
and says, I can't walk. So the captor looks at me and says, you will carry him and his shit if he doesn't move faster. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is how this is going to be. I see how you are. I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the other dude with the beef jerky and snuff on his breast. I think it was rot, but I don't know for sure. I'll never forget the sergeant who was in charge of this particular operation. We'll call him Sergeant Swill. After we had gotten dressed and collected our packs, <clears throat> Sergeant Swill comes over to me and says, academic situation, which is a term used to let you know that you are no longer in role play and you are now being addressed in a formal manner by the person in charge. In other words, you about get your ass chewed. What is that? What the fuck is that? What is that, Private Pile? So your demeanor should reflect so. Academic situation. He said, you just got everybody killed. I should fail you right here on the spot for what just happened. And there's a very long pause. I said nothing as I was not asked a question. Plus, I'm holding it all back. So I didn't dare speak. He went on. Nobody ever told you to act a fool as a method to evade questioning. I will decide after we return to base what I'm going to do. But know this, Airman Shropshire, your actions from here through the end of this exercise damn well better justify you staying. Now get to your next point. Academic situation terminated. Holy Jesus. What is that? What the fuck is that? There was a sense of relief. Because it was close. I almost quit. I was so close to saying the words, fuck this shit, I quit. During that academic situation, I almost let it go. I started to say, man, this is bullshit. You attach me to an injured player who can't get any advanced training, so it's all on me when we get up with the bad guys. He can't keep up. He even told me so during our time alone in the woods. And I don't blame him. I mean, he's doing the best he can to get through training with a bad ankle. It sucks. It's a bummer deal. You got a bum wheel. He can mess you up. Ain't no doubt. I was relieved that we got cut loose. And I was not going to let us be caught again, at least till the very end, you know, when everybody gets captured. as It's just part of the exercise. I never did face that pool of crick water again, although I found it again years later. While instructing some students one day, we stopped and caught fish there for about an hour as I told them the story. Classified, of course. When we were on Lake Fort, we felt relief just to be found. After being discovered by the passing fishermen, they helped us flip the boat over and tow it back to the ramp. Just getting in, in and out of the water, it was a big deal. <laughs> I remember looking at each other in disbelief as we went back across that lake. With that little John boat being towed behind us. 
Couldn't believe what just happened. All the fishing gear went to the bottom and some other items. But for the most part, we were whole. The captain on our boat that day, Bill, would go on to serve our country as a proud Navy man for a few years before returning to East Texas. He soon will retire from the uh, railroad business. Rich was an Army man, served his country proudly before returning home to East Texas. He's now a manager for a company that does home remodeling. To this day, we are bonded together in a brotherhood that can never be broken, not just as veterans, but from that life and death situation. I know without a doubt that they would have tried to help me had I fallen off that tree and slipped down into that water. Just as I would have gone down trying to help them on that cold day on Lake Fork. One interview question that I, I always like, but I very rarely ever use it or used it, I should say, when conducting interviews, is if you could go back in time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give him? And for me, I would tell myself, always take a life jacket. I'd probably say get it tattooed on your arm. And I ain't even got tattoos, so they don't call them life jackets for the hell of it. Would we wear them more often if they were called anti-death jackets? I, I don't know. Would it be the last time I'd be in the water without a life jacket on? No. But I promise you there was always a plethora of life jackets and floating devices on any craft that I go in. So you see, I felt like I was playing with house money since way back in the day. For a long time, I lived life really hard, too hard, pushed, pushed it to the limits. My children came along and changed a lot of that thinking for the most part. The love that I share with them obviously became a bigger focus. But even that doesn't keep some of the old demons at bay. You know, when you're younger, you know, maybe younger 20s, late teenager, you, you think you know everything. And then 10 years goes by, and the next thing you're turning 30. And you look back and think, shit, I didn't know anything back then. But I got it together now, so it's all good. It's all G, as they say here. It's all G. And then 40 comes knocking. And you look back and think, I didn't really have it all together yet at 30. But now I'm older, and I know more, so I got this. And then 50 comes. And you're still looking back thinking, no, didn't know what all I needed then either. <laughs> So I finally decided I may not know what I think I know. <laughs> you ever spend time trying to find yourself? <laughs> I didn't even know I was lost. When I finally did find myself, I didn't know where I was. I thought maybe I just better chill right here and make the best of today. Being a good soldier was never really my focus. 
I was eat up with the one-to-one stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed the instructor lifestyle. Without those things that I learned down there off Rambo Road, man, I never could have been a radio DJ. Without first going through the experiences in survival, I may never have accomplished a fraction of what I've done in life. It helped me to overcome my public speaking fear. Safe to say I would not be living this life here on the jungle, off-grid, on the side of a mountain, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, without all that training at Fairchild. Not that I use much of that information on a regular basis, but it, it makes me not afraid to try something new or to push the boundaries when I need to. I know that the only way to quit is to give up. And I'm not giving up. Do I still use 550 cord? Yep. Got some holding up my tailgate on my pickup. Used a bowling knot and a reverse tension loop with a safety hitch. Bought a thousand foot spool at the general store four years ago. Black. Because I like black. Hell, there's a C9 canopy stapled to the ceiling in this studio. It's like wallpaper for the roof. I always feel like I'm in the fire circle in here. I got three packs on the wall. I'll never ever hit a trail again, I'm sure, because of my foot. One's a full-size Kelty. I got a daisy chain, a 550 cord from this canopy above me. I'll video all this and put it on YouTube for you. Behind me, very distinct items that separate us from other people. A handmade gill net, a triangle sign with a skull on it. Some remnants of an old pair of handmade snowshoes. Pieces, really. A green mug with boots and wings. You know that one. It's been glued back together so many times. Comrade Toke's mug, also glued back together a few times. It's clear that I've never let go. It's just not in me to give up these things. Listen, I, I'm not trying to burn anybody here. I left out many more names than I put in here. And I tried to use names that would only be, you know, known to some of us. I can tell you for certain that more than five, a handful of my classmates will hear this podcast. Many of those who were mentioned have been informed in advance and have given really nothing but support for what we're doing here at the, the big podcast. As in past episodes, sometimes survival never comes up. But when it does, I try to let you know on the Facebook pages. Thanks to all my one one family. I don't even know if we're still one one I know we're Seer, so thanks to all my Seer family, all my survival brothers and sisters. I appreciate you all. You are my heroes. You really are. Aloha to each of you. Here's to us. And those like us. Damn few left. things that shape my life. I am who I am because of these experiences, because of some bad judgment. I always felt like I should write all this down for my grandchildren to carry forward. Then I decided to just do what I do best and grab a microphone, leave them a verbal recollection of my life. But now because of transcripting, I end up writing all this shit down anyway. (laughs) It's all right. Imagine if you could sit down 
and listen to your grandpa tell stories from 100 years ago or your great-grandpa or your great-great-great-grandpa. It's my goal to save all these podcasts we publish from Misty Mountain Studio so that they'll always be available for those future generations. It shouldn't be too hard to do. A couple of big hard drives and be good to go. I remind you every week that no one is immune from depression, anxiety, stress, and other mental health issues. I only share my experience so that others can use it. I hope it helps. If just one person, then it's enough for me. I will tell you that I've had a few moments of darkness over the last month or so. And I don't feel the need to elaborate in detail because I think it gives it too much attention, too much energy. And it was nothing I couldn't deal with in the moment. Did it bother me that my brain was trying to make me go into that place again? Sure. It can be very disturbing, to say the least, to have these visions just come out of nowhere. But it turns out that the strength that I gain from sharing my experience is one of the best tools that I got going. My doctor told me this was going to happen. She's very smart. Now, I'm not going to come on here and tell you what a doctor would say to you because I ain't no doctor, okay? But I will share with you in detail the shit that goes on with me so as to hopefully help somebody else out there. It's just an example of some mental health issues that people go through. Depression, anxiety, stress, suicidal thoughts. You know, I asked one of my sisters one time, one of my survival sisters, if she knew of any other survival instructors who thought about suicide. And she was strong enough to share that with me. That she too has to fight it. I want to help people who struggle with these issues like mine. You can get help. You don't have to struggle alone. Obviously, these things can affect anyone anywhere. And I never realized how many people struggle with mental health issues. But it's massive. Now remember, your thoughts are just thoughts. But sometimes they become more meaningful if we dwell on them. But they are just thoughts. I don't know if you remember, but last year there was a this big campaign for push-ups for veteran suicide. Sort of a challenge. 22 days, 22 push-ups each day to remember the 22 veterans who commit suicide every day. And I remember during that, I, I had already come up with this idea for this podcast, and, and I knew that I, I would end each podcast talking about those veterans and sharing the information that I had gotten and the things that I had learned from my very close call. And I never did really challenge anybody to do those push-ups like I was supposed to. I kind of left it optional. But today I do challenge you. Just do one.
You don't have to do 22. Just do one. And then I challenge you to reach out to somebody today. Doesn't have to be a veteran. Just let somebody know you're thinking about them. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to ask for help. It takes strength to ask for help. We all feel weak from time to time. But asking for help takes so much courage. Talking can save lives. Reach out. Check on somebody today. Let somebody you know know that you're okay. Or hell, let them know you're not okay. Last week I got 15 text messages back. I'm very grateful. Even if you're not registered with the VA or enrolled in VA healthcare, this is available to all veterans, their families, and their friends. The VA has responders standing by 24-7, 365, staffed by caring, qualified VA responders. Many are veterans themselves. They've been there. They know. They understand. There's a whole different spectrum out there that I can't even really relate to. But they're there for you. National Suicide Prevention Line is 800-273-8255. It's on the transcript. It's here every week. You can find it right here. 800-273-8255. Next time you're at the VA, pick up a bracelet, carry it around, give it to somebody. They're cool. <clears throat> Little camo bracelets, you'll see them. It's got veteranscrisisline.net on it. It's also got the text number on it, 838255. 22 veterans take their own life each day. I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want you to be one either. So we're going to stay strong together. In our next podcast, one last purge. I'll tell you how I got it all down to that final load. Pickup, trailer, Harley, all on the road to Seattle. We'll have wise words and pause for the cause songs. We'll talk about learning as I grow. What are popcorn buds and why you should buy them? Hey, coming up in a few weeks, we're going to have some insta- in-studio guests helping us out with some music, some culture, and, of course, cannabis. Everyone's going to get vaccinated. We're all going to be sharing responsibly. Details on the way. <clears throat> Special note to all my family and friends in Washington and Texas. My trip has been booked. Save me some pumpkin pie and some pecan pie and a little bit of that deer meat. At Thanksgiving, I'm coming. Coming, I'm coming. I'll be by to see you. Hunting camp is booked. I'm planning on bringing in my old Martin guitar and doing a few for you. Only thing I got to do now is get my fishing lined out. Kind of just going to play that by ear. It's going to be my first vacation from the island. It's kind of weird to say that, vacation from the island. Used to vacation here, now it's reverse. (laughs) 
This is a weekly podcast. It's free. It's easy to use. Please tell a friend or two or 10 or 20. Share, share, share. Thank you for listening to Hi in Hawaii, a K&D production from Misty Mountain Studio, copyright 2021. Do I really have to say that shit? Just a heads up. Our wine and weed segment is going to be a spinoff. We plan to make it a separate podcast, a once in a month deal. So look forward to that coming up soon. www.highandhigh.com. Special thanks to our complimentary sponsors, West Jeans, Fuzzface, Google West Jeans. Clicked on that link right there and check those out. If you're a guitar player, you've got to get a Fuzzface custom made by West Jeans. Also, the link to the CHNO chili oil and such. It's my son Joe's stuff. It's hot. It's good. Chili oil and such link right there at the bottom. You can see it. Thank you. It's been a long one. <clears throat> Appreciate you spending time with us here on High in Hawaii. I'm going to go rest my voice now. Aloha. Y'all come back now. You hear? Happy night, That boy ain't right. Hope you're ready for the next episode. Hey. Smoke weed every day. You some bitch.